Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Let me give you a background here of chapter 12. Revelation 12 to 14 represents a pause in the unfolding vision of the seventh seal. Before revealing the final victory of Jesus Christ over the kingdom of the devil, the Lord shows John the history of the war between good and evil that leads to the culminating events in the seventh seal. In chapter 12, John sees the war in heaven, the casting out of a third part of Heavenly Father's spirit children who were followers of Lucifer, and the continuation of the war on earth. In chapter 13, John witnesses the worldwide rise of evil-inspired political and religious kingdoms, increasing Satan's control over the children of men. Finally, in chapter 14, he sees truth and priesthood power restored to the earth to prepare believers for the destruction of the world. Also, this, as I mentioned, this is a flashback to John's day. This chapter may be divided into three parts. Verses 1 to 5 appear to depict the establishment of the church in the meridian of time and the beginning of the, the apostasy. <clears throat> Verses 6 to 11 show us the war in heaven, showing that the outcome in heaven gives us confidence that the saints will prevail. And 12 to 17 return to the theme of the persecution of the meridian church and the apostasy that followed. And that was from the understanding of the book of Revelation. Uh, also, the Joseph Smith translation changes almost every verse in this chapter, so I'm going to be reading from that. So if you're following along in the King James Version, you'll notice a few differences. Verse 1, And there appeared a great sign in heaven in the likeness of things on the earth, a woman clothed with the sun. The woman represents the true church of God, which is not just an organization, but many righteous individuals joined together by covenant, in being clothed with the sun, the woman represents the destiny of those who join themselves to her and follow the Lord with pure hearts. They will be privileged to enter the celestial kingdom, whose glory is that of the sun. In being clothed with the sun, the true church becomes like unto God himself, who is clothed with light as with a garment. Uh, also, and the moon under her feet, the moon represents a lesser glory than that of the sun, terrestrial. Also, the woman has power or dominion over lesser kingdoms of glory and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. The head of the church is the twelve apostles under Christ. And the woman being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered, and she brought forth a man-child. Uh, I want to pause for just a minute here and explain something else uh, that I didn't have in the lesson before, but which I found recently, just a minute. Now I want you to think for a minute about this: these two verses that we just read. And there, there appeared a great sign in heaven in the likeness of things on the earth, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And the woman being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered, and she brought forth a man-child. On September 23rd of 2017, the constellation Virgo, which is, the, which is a woman, had in her... Um, Inside the, the constellation was the, the planet of Jupiter, which is a symbol of, of Jesus Christ, and that the planet came out of her, and it, it, it shows the sun 
uh, on the top of the of the constellation Virgo, and um, a crown of twelve stars on her head is representative of the the constellation of Leo, which only has nine stars. But then there are three planets: Mercury, Mars, and Venus, which are also uh, aligned with this. And uh, at her feet is the moon. And this happened on the 23rd of September, 2017. Now, whether there's any significance to that or not, I don't know. But it's interesting that the that this has only happened once, one time in 7,000 years. And so it's very significant, I think, that this is going on. Um, that uh, And that's reference to the fact that the man-child is being born. And I'll explain to you what that means in just a minute. But... Um, it's interesting that this happened. Now, I don't know what that means exactly. On September 22nd, 21st and 22nd of 2017 was the Jewish New Year, or Rosh Hashanah. Uh, so is this occurrence of this Jewish holiday happening when the, the this constellation and these things with the sun and the moon and the stars uh, all happening all at this particular time? Is there some significance to that? I think there might be, but I, like I said, I don't know what, that, what it means. I guess time will tell. Back to verse 2, uh, actually it's verse 5 that we're reading from, what brought forth the man-child. It's a little bit out of order in the, in the Joseph Smith translation. After Christ comes, all the peoples of the earth will be subject to him, but there will be, a multi there will be multitudes of people on the face of the earth who will not be members of the church. Yet all will have to be obedient to the laws of the kingdom of God, for it will have dominion upon the whole face of the earth. These people will be subject to the political government, even though they are not members of the ecclesiastical kingdom, which is the church. This government, which embraces all the peoples of the earth, both in and out of the church, is also sometimes spoken of as the kingdom of God, because the people are subject to the kingdom of God, which Christ will set up. And that was by Joseph Fielding Smith. Uh, continuing the verse, <clears throat> who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and his throne. In order to have a kingdom, you have to have king, property, laws, bishops, workers, land, political organization, military, econ economics, education, social, cultural, and spiritual. When the church fled into uh, the, the desert, into Deseret, outside the United States, Brigham Young tried to set up a kingdom of God that had all of these things. It had its own money system, it began to have its own language and everything. Verse 3, And there appeared another sign in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads, in other words, if I defeat one of Satan's head, he'll come after me from a different direction. And ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. So the seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns on the horns. Um, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Notice it's not one third, but a third part. And did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was, re which was delivered, ready to devour her child as after it was born. But the trumpet... Blasts are not designed to destroy the earth. They they affect a significant proportion, but not all. Some 12 times the seer limits the destruction to one-third, symbolically showing that their bounds have been set. They can go only so far. The fraction one-third is used by a number of the prophets in association with what is called remnant theology, the remnant being the unaffected part. We see this in Ezekiel chapter 5. The prophet performs his dramatized prophecy against Jerusalem by shaving his head and beard, burns one-third of the hair with fire, cleaves one-third with the sword, and scatters the remainder to the wind. Only the latter one-third remains alive through those scattered. 
It is the remnant. The fraction is used again in Ezekiel 5.12 and in Zechariah 13.8-9. In the latter, one-third is all that remains alive after the, after the divine judgments, while another one-third is burned with fire. So the fraction John gives suggests that the purpose of the destruction in Revelation 8 is not so much retribution as a last attempt to turn man to God. That was for Richard Draper. When John speaks of the war in heaven, his descriptions of Lucifer's activities is slightly different from the typical interpretation in Latter-day Latter circles. He states that the devil drew away a third part of the host of heaven with him. The distinction between one-third and a third may, be, may seem subtle, yet it is real. The fraction one-third implies 33 and a third percent, whereas the phrase third part implies a numerically undetermined segment of the population who symbolize the fact that Satan's power over the premortal spirits was limited. Thus, the numerology in the passage implies that we have no knowledge of the fraction or percentage of the father's children who followed the adversary. All we know is that Satan had a limited influence over those in the, present, in the presence of God. That was by Alonzo Gaskill. Also, he said, if one were to read the verse with any degree of literal, literalness, the conjecture might be made that the third part were one of the three groups in the pre-mortal world, the great and noble ones, the general populace of the spirit, and the apostates that follow Lucifer. However, in this author's opinion, in other words, Brother Gaskill's opinion, nothing in the text requires such a reading. Indeed, to take the, play, to take the phrase third part literally may miss John's point. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that, she, that, that they should feed her. In other words, take care of. The Lord will not let the church die, but will keep it on, in his care until it is time to restore the gospel to the earth. There are a thousand two hundred and threescore days or years. If we say that the church returned in 1830, then counting backwards, 1260 years gets us to 570 A.D., the world was in apostasy centuries before that. The point being made is that the apostasy would last a very long time. In a study conducted by Vern Grovner, uh, Vern Grovner Swanson in his book Dynasty of the Holy Grail ties this date into the last remains of the true church in England, dying off around AD 570. The second possible date is the Eastern Proclamation of Supremacy in AD 588. The third possible date is AD 607, when the Western churches took over the saints. If one takes the first date, AD 570, and adds 1,260 solar years, we arrive at 1830. If one takes the second date, AD 588, and adds 1,260 prophetic years, meaning each year has 360 days, we arrive at 1830. If one takes the third date, AD 607, and adds 1,260 lunar years, which is 354 and a third days each, to it, we still arrive at 1830. These dates were also considered accurate by a reverend who said he was looking for spiritual experiences to occur between 1820 and 1830. Uh, verse 7, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought against Michael. And the dragon prevailed not against Michael, neither the child nor the woman, which was the church of God, who had been delivered of her pains and brought forth the kingdom of our God and his church. The kingdom is ruled by both God and God the Father and Jesus Christ. Neither was there place found in heaven for the great dragon who was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. The word devil is not used in the Old Testament. In Greek it means false accuser or slanderer. Uh, back to verse 9. And also called Satan. The word Satan means adversary, which deceiveth. 
the whole world, he, he was certain, or he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan could accuse us to God because we have sinned and fallen short of perfection, but Christ comes and brings salvation and mercy through his atoning sacrifice. Verse 11, for they have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word. Notice what they do here, how they overcome Satan, because this is how we do it today. For they have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, in other words, the sacrifice of Christ and our faith in him, and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their own lives, but kept the testimony even unto death. Testimonies often, this is Robert E. Hale's, testimonies often come when there is a willingness to serve where we are called. They come when a decision is made to strive to be obedient. Testimonies come during efforts to help lift and strengthen others. They come from prayer and from studying the scriptures and applying them in our lives. Whatever our circumstances, there seem to be moments in each of our lives when we can get, be given the knowledge that God lives and that Jesus is the Christ. There is no greater search in life than we can embark upon than the quest to gain a testimony of the truth. I often believe that uh, we didn't come here to gain a testimony. We came to remember our testimony because I think we had one before we came here. So the weapons that we used in premortality against Lucifer was the blood of the lamb and our testimonies. And that should be the same weapons that we use today. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and ye that dwell in them. And after these things I heard another voice saying, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, yea, and they who dwell upon the islands of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you. Satan dwells on earth, in other words, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. The woe seems to have begun when Satan first entered the Garden of Eden and tempted Eve. It will not end until Satan has been bound with chains and cast into the bottomless pit. For when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Satan's first order of business is always to persecute the church and the saints. Verse 14, Therefore the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might flee into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. God will make certain that all is in readiness when the time comes for the restoration of the gospel. So the, the church is sent into the wilderness, but a remnant of the church and its beliefs are maintained. And the serpent casteth out casteth out of his mouth water as a flood upon after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. The flood may be a torrent of lies against the church, the flow of evil to overwhelm the church, ceaseless persecution and tribulation. Satan made great efforts to destroy the church, and that the true power and authority of the church survived in God's care. That was from understanding the book of Revelation. Verse 16, And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed up the flood which the dragon casteth out of his mouth. Therefore the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So in spite of all of this, the members of the church are still going to remain faithful and they're going to frustrate Satan's attempts at destroying them. I bear testimony to the truth of these things. And as we've mentioned before, that the book of Revelation is the most plain book that God ever caused to be written. I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.